0: I don't know what Terry was talking about, candy missing from the office this week for the trick or trunk, but that's a good snicker bar right there. I like that. Hey, good morning. My name is Danny, and I'm the campus pastor here at our Banks Mill location, and as I continue to process chewing this, I hope I don't spit on you or anything else, but that being said, normally at this time in the service, Pastor Philip will come, and he will stand here, and he will speak God's word and share what God has laid on his heart, and from time to time campus pastors and other people get to come and speak. And so today I get to be with you and I get to speak and I am so excited about what God has laid on my heart and the messages he's laid on my heart. So we're going to cover a lot of things today and a lot of ground today. And as we get started, I would like to just ask you to begin to think with me about the last time that you were excited or really fired up about something. And just think back to how long ago, maybe for some of you it's this week, maybe for some of you it was last year, I don't know. But think about, I mean, I'm thinking about things like this. When you got a new car, maybe right now you have just gotten a new car, and so for you, you're fired up and you're pumped up about that. People can't eat in your car, you keep it vacuumed, you take it every single week to the car wash, you make sure you wax it, you make sure that new car is pristine and it looks good all the time. Or maybe for some of you, and this is kind of for me because I love to eat, but you've got a restaurant and it is so good. And the stuff that you get there, you look forward to it all week getting there and being able to eat that and it is just fantastic food and you put it in your mouth and you feel like you have died and gone to heaven. It is just so, so good. Or maybe for some of you, that have children, it's your child's sports team or their dance team or whatever they're involved with and you just absolutely love going and watching and watching them participate and cheering them on and that's something for you that you can get pumped up, you can get excited about that. Or maybe for you, it's your own sports team. Maybe you're pulling for a team that's really doing well, having a great season, so when that team is on TV, you're watching it, you're pumped up, you're excited about it. But just think for a minute about what it is that excites you and then I'm going to be Debbie Downer for a minute and I want to ask you, how long does that excitement stick around? I think to the car for a minute. A lot of people when they get that new car, they keep it really clean for a couple months, three months, and then all of a sudden it's not quite so new and there's hamburger wrappers in there and there's dirt on the floor mat and there's fingerprints across the dashboard. Your car's dirty. The wheels need to be cleaned. And all of a sudden you're like, I oh, just forget it. And so it loses and that, that excitement fades Or maybe you go to that restaurant all the time, and all of a sudden that meal at one point that was so good, it just rocked your world, all of a sudden it becomes routine, and you're like, I don't care if we go, I'll take it, I'll leave it, What? it doesn't matter to me, not a big deal at all. Parents, be honest, don't say anything, but be honest. That same child's team that maybe a few weeks ago, a few months ago, you were really, really excited about, now you're like, Gosh, it is Saturday. We've got to go sit at the ball field and watch more sports, baseball, that whatever you're watching, and now I've got to go do this, and I'm sick. I'm so ready for the season to be over with. I'm sure that's none of you, but there's some parents that they really do feel like that. Or what about the person who um, they have their favorite team? Let me just tell you this. I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm a huge North Carolina Tar Heels fan, and I'm a huge Miami Dolphins fan. If you know anything about college football and pro football, both of those teams are supposed to really, really do well this year. Both of them stink to the point yesterday I told my wife I've got a free deal right now for the NFL package. So normally I would tape those games, watch them later in the afternoon when I could speed through the commercials. I told her yesterday I'm not even taping the Dolphins game. I'll see whatever I can see because they're one in six. They stink. And so that excitement has faded. I'm no longer excited that they're coming on TV and that I can watch them for free. Here's what I want you to think about for a minute. Spiritually, that same thing can happen. And this is a little bit scary. If you stop and think about it, spiritually, when you first make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you surrender to him, you feel like you're gonna save the world. Man, I'm gonna tell everybody know about Jesus. I'm gonna make sure every person that I come across at school or at my job or on a sport, wherever I am, I'm gonna tell them about Jesus and I'm gonna win them to Jesus. Or you stop and you think about, you know what, spending time with God, that's all I can think about right now. I can't wait till the morning or evening or afternoon whenever you do your quiet time. You can't wait for that time to come and spend time with God and memorize his word and hide it in your heart. Or maybe you're just super, super committed to attend. Hey, you know what, God's doing some great things in my life. I'm going to make sure I'm at church every week. I'm going to make sure I'm serving every week. I'm going to be faithful at my church. Then what happens unfortunately over time is that begins to fade. And all of a sudden, we don't really care too much about sharing Jesus with that person. Or we don't care so much, and i make it to church one Sunday a month, two Sundays a month, I'm pretty good. Or, you know what, I'm kind of tired this morning, I know I'm supposed to serve, but Terry or Jordan or somebody else, they'll, they'll figure out how to handle that, that we'll be okay. They'll find somebody to fill my spot. And all of a sudden, that excitement and that fire and that, that vitality in that relationship, it slowly begins to fade. And what I want to talk to you about today is the whole idea, that's not God's desire. God does not desire for that excitement, for that fire of our faith to fade. It happens a lot of times because of life and because of what we do or don't do. So I want to spend a few minutes today just talking about how is it that we can keep our faith alive and on fire. Because as I look across this worship center, I think about people that are watching online today, we're all there at different times, okay? If you're honest with me, we all get there at times. And if you're somebody that never gets there, you and I need to have a conversation because you probably are not living in the real world, okay? So we all go through those times where we're not on fire and that, that, that passion fades. And so how do we keep that from happening? And to address that, I wanna look at 1 Kings and we're gonna look at 2 Kings as well in the Old Testament. So you can go ahead and turn there. If you've got your Bible app, go ahead and find it there. These verses will also be on the screen. And as I do that, I want to be sure that you understand one thing. We're going to be talking about two guys, and their names are very closely associated. One of them is Elijah. And one of them is Elisha, okay? So you got Elijah and Elisha that we're going to be talking about. So as I go through here, I just if you hear names that sound similar, they are similar, but I want you to be able to draw the comparison as I go through these verses. So let me read verses 19 through 21, and then we're going to pick these verses apart and talk about how we can keep our faith alive and on fire. And God's Word says this, So Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have said to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast the flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, what in the world? Does that have to do with keeping our faith on fire? And I'm going to answer that question for you in the next few moments that we have together. So let me just start off with point one there. The first thing we need to do is to consider the cost carefully. Consider the cost of our faith. Consider the cost of a relationship with Jesus. We need to consider that very, very carefully. So let me talk about what happened in those verses for just a second, specifically verse 20, which, again, I'm going to read that because I'm going to zone in on this one. But Elisha, um, in verse 20, says that he left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. What's happening here is this, and this is kind of crazy to me, but Elisha is out in the field. He's a farmer. He's a plowsman, and he is uh, there's 12 teams of, of plowsmen out there, and he's one of those teams, and so what he's doing is out there just doing what he does every day. He's out there plowing, minding his own business, and all of a sudden, Elijah comes along while he's out there working, and he puts his cloak over his shoulders. And when I read that, I'm like, what the heck? I mean, this guy's out there doing this and some man just walks up and throws his cloak over his shoulders. What in the world's going on? But you need to understand a couple things. We know from God's word that most likely Elisha's family was a godly family. So they knew who Elijah was. Also, because of that, Elijah, or Elisha understood the significance of this cloak being put across him. And what he understood is it meant that he was going to be the next prophet. And what you need to understand is that Elijah is a prophet and a prophet is simply someone who um, speaks on God's behalf, most of the time telling people to repent and to turn to God. And so he understands that's what he's being called to do, to be the next person to follow in line with Elijah. And so he realizes this is a pretty serious calling that's on his life and it's pretty important. So that's that's what's happening there and that's why the cloak is put around him because it's symbolizing, hey, you're getting ready to be the next prophet. But here's the crazy thing to me, that Elijah understood the significance of what he was getting ready to ask Elisha to do. And so what he does is he basically says to him, hey, you go on back and tell your mom and dad bye, but then he goes on to say, I want you to think about what I've just done. And I started really processing and wrestling with that whole idea of what could he mean to go back and think about what's happening? And I started realizing as I looked through commentary, studied it, thought about this, that he was, return, he was telling him to return home to really process the fact that he was getting ready to move from a plowsman to a prophet. And his life was getting ready to change drastically in that calling that God had on his life. And, and what, I, what am I talking about? I'm imagining when, when Elisha got home, he probably started thinking, you know what? I have it pretty comfortable here in my home. Uh, my needs are taken care of. My family is here. There's just comforts of being here one place. I'm not moving around all the time. I'm not making people angry. I'm not preaching to people. Uh, he had a pretty comfortable life. And he, so I'm thinking he's probably wondering, okay, this, this is going to be quite a change. Or maybe he's sitting there thinking, you know what, I come from a wealthy family. We know that because there's 12 team of in there. And we just know that, that this was a wealthy family. So in my mind, I'm also wondering, as he's sitting there wrestling with the whole idea, not only am I comfortable, I've got plenty of wealth. And I'm very, very comfortable in this life that I'm living. Maybe he's thinking about the fact that he's the only child. And is the only child when his dad passes away. All of this wealth becomes his because he is the only heir of that. Maybe he's thinking about the power he has. You have to stop and think. A lot of people are employed at this farm that he's on, and he has power. He has power over them. He has money. He has wealth, prestige. So I'm thinking there's a lot of things going through his mind of why this is a big decision, an important decision. And, and again, Elijah understood that, so when he's challenged him to think through that. And what I started doing as I thought about that, I thought, you know, in a lot of ways, it's not a lot different than us today. You know, when we follow Jesus, Jesus never said to us, this is going to be easy, this is going to be simple, this is always going to be fun. No, he tells us several different things. One thing we're told is that we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. That doesn't sound like something that's easy. That sounds like something that's going to cost you to deny yourself, to deny the things that you want to do, to deny the things that you're about, to deny maybe even times the things that give you pleasure in order to serve God and in order to serve Jesus. I mean, stop and think about that. That's, That's not always fun. That's not always easy. And then he talks about this whole idea of taking up our cross. The cross was a death instrument. And it symbolized the fact that you and I have to die to ourselves. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what what I want or what I desire or what pleases me. Now all of a sudden this has become about God and what pleases him and what honors him. And then he goes on even to say, after you've done those things, now follow me. Do exactly what you see me do and do exactly what my word teaches you to do. So we need to understand, we gotta count the cost because we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow after him. I'm also reminded, In the book of Luke, we're reminded and talked to about the fact that if you're going to build a tower, if a builder's going to build a tower, he doesn't just all of a sudden one day go out and start building this tower because he may run out of money, he may run out of funds. He knows what it's going to cost him from foundation to completion before he builds that. So he's counting the cost. Do I have enough to complete this? Or I think about the king in Luke 14 as well who's getting ready to go to battle and he doesn't just all of a sudden say, hey, we're going to battle and they take off and go to battle. No, that king is very strategic to make sure that he has the men and the troops to go out and to fight this battle so that he can win. And the point I'm trying to make in all of this over and over again is the fact that we gotta consider the cost. If we're gonna have a growing, vibrant faith, we need to understand it comes at a cost and we've got to consider that very, very carefully because it can be a very, very high price so we've got to be willing to count the cost. And so what does that look like to follow Jesus? I thought about this a little bit and thought, what, what kind of things might we have to give up? What kind of things might it cost us to follow Jesus? One of the first things I thought about was relationships. Relationships. You know, there are probably some of us sitting in this room right now that have friends that are not the kind of friends that we need to have. They're friends who are pulling us down. They're friends that we're around them. We do things. We say things. We talk ways that we shouldn't talk, and we need to to put some distance between us. That's not to say move away and, and not allow God to use you to reach them, but the people we spend the bulk of our time with need to be people that are heading and moving in the same direction toward Jesus and helping us, and we're helping them. And so maybe you've got friends in your life that aren't helping you do that, and the to you is going to be, you need to let those friends go and maybe have some hard conversations. Or maybe for some of you, it's controlling your mouth. Um, If you're a type A person, this is hard for you. And I don't see my wife in here. Maybe she's not in here yet, so I can say this without her getting in here. But my wife is a type A person, okay? And whenever things happen, she has to really be careful because her first instinct is to speak. I'm different, I want to be diplomatic, let's talk about their feelings and your feelings, let's see if we can come to common ground on this and figure this thing out. She's built differently, when things happen, man, she's going to address them and she's going to address them right there on the spot. So for her, sometimes controlling her tongue is not always an easy thing, now she's, the older she gets, the more God gets control, she's doing better and better, Uh, but that's something for her, it's a challenge, and I hope she doesn't beat me down when I get home, but anyway, it'll be too late, I'll just beg her forgiveness. But controlling your tongue might be something that's going to be costly to you and something very difficult for you. For others of you, it may be giving up your plans. Maybe you have these plans that look so good to you, and they're going to lead to maybe wealth or a simple lifestyle or an easy lifestyle or home. I don't know, whatever your plans might be. And you look at those and you think, you know what, this is really where I would like to be in a year, five years, 10 years from now. But God has a different idea, and you know he has a different idea, and you're fighting it right now. And what God's saying to you is, you know what? I'm, I need to be in control of your life. You surrender to me. I'm your Lord. I need to call these shots, so you need to let me have this. But, y'all, we don't want to do that because we've got all this planned out. Maybe that's your cost today. Forgiveness, pride. For some of you today, you know God's called you to serve at Cedar Creek, in Kids Creek, in Grace, in Centerpoint on Guest Services. But, But let's just be honest, you want to sleep in on Sunday mornings. You've had a busy week most weeks, so the thoughts of getting up to come here to serve other people has no interest. But you know, you know God's calling you to do that, and you just don't want to do it because you want to sleep in, and God's saying, no, I need you to count the cost. I need you to get your ear and out of bed and go and serve. I served you. You are called to serve other people as well. Or for me, I'll just be real personal with you for a minute. I have a a part of me, a big part of me that's an introvert. Ministry and introvert usually don't go together very well, okay? And many people are surprised when I tell them, but this is an area I fight. I fight it a lot because I like being in really, really small groups of people and really, really intimate settings. And so things like this or being in big crowds or working with big groups of people can be very draining for me and at times can be nerve-wracking. But one of the things I've had to do is surrender that to God and say, God, you've called me into ministry and I need you to help me overcome this. And by his grace and mercy, he does that. And I'm so grateful for that. But that for me is something that it costs me because I would much rather a lot of times be in that small group setting than in a big group setting, stand up here speaking. But I know this is what God's called me to do. And so it's something I count the cost and realize, God, if I want to have a vibrant, growing faith, I've got to be obedient to you. So you just think for a minute, and I would ask you even right now beside point one for you to stop for just a second, and I want you to think about the thing maybe that God's laying on your mind right now, that you need to count the cost and you need to lay that down to him and you need to give that back to him. As a matter of fact, this is important enough, I want to pause for just a second and pray for you, pray for myself as we consider what that thing is or things are that we need to lay down before him. So join me in prayer for just a second. Father, I want to come to you and just thank you for your desire and your passion to work and to move in our lives. And, Father, I know that one of the things that all of us hang on to are those certain areas and those certain things um, that, that we feel like bring meaning and value to our life, and sometimes it's hard to release those things to you and to trust you. And I pray right now as we mull over this point and think about the cost of following you, that that thing that you're bringing to our mind right now, we'll have the boldness to write that down. And we'll have the boldness to begin to pray about and ask you for the strength and the courage and the plan to overcome that thing, to lay that at your feet, to count that cost and realize that if we want that growing, vibrant faith, we've got to let go of that and allow you to work your plan and will in our life. So my prayer is speak clearly to us about what that is and give us the boldness and courage to act on that. And I pray it in your son's name, amen. All right, so you be thinking right now, if you know what it is, jot it down. If God lays it on your heart, go ahead and write it down. What is that cost that you need to be willing to pay, that thing you need to give up to surrender to God in order to have that vibrant, growing faith? A second thing I want to look at is we've got to be willing to make some decisions and to make them drastically. We've got to be willing to make some decisions and to do it drastically. Verse 21, God's Word says this, So Elisha returned to his oxen, and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Now, what I want you to understand here is that Elisha realizes this very, very special calling that he has on his life. And I want you to notice what he did in response to that. He didn't just say, okay, Elijah, I'm going to go with you. He took another step, and he sacrificed his animals, and he burned the very plows that made him the money that made his family wealthy. This cat is crazy, okay? he is. I can't imagine what people around him must have thought about him when he slaughters these animals, and then he burns the plows that make the money for their family. This guy is absolutely crazy. And then on top of that, he doesn't stop there. He uses all this stuff to have and to bring all these townspeople together. It makes zero sense at all. And I am sure people thought that Elisha had lost his mind. But what he understood and what he got is that he had to make a drastic decision to follow God. And he was willing to do whatever it took to follow him. As I did a little bit more research and looking in on this um, and just kind of processing, trying to think about why would he burn all that, and especially then, why would he bring townspeople together and basically, to me, have have a a, a community get together? And As I processed that and researched and looked at it some, a couple things came out, and one of them is that maybe he did this feast to explain what he was doing with his life, It was so drastic and so crazy what he was doing. And Elijah brought these people together to explain to them what he was getting ready to do. What was he getting ready to do? He was getting ready to quit farming and quit being a plowsman to go over here to be a prophet. And man, that seems jacked up and crazy that over here there's prestige and wealth and power and over here you're getting ready to go speak and talk to people who don't want to hear you, who hate you, who don't want to return to God, who, don't, who want to continue to do things their own way. That makes zero sense to want to do that. No sense at all. So maybe that's why he brought them together. Another speculation is that maybe he brought them together just to signal a complete break from the past into his new calling. And so what he did is he destroyed the cattle and he destroyed the very wood of the plows in order to show the permanency of his decision. I'm not coming back to this. I'm not going back to this. I don't have the the ability. I don't don't want to go back to that. This is what God's called me to do and this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to be a prophet for the king of kings and lord of lords because he's called me to do that. And so by destroying that, he was signifying to people, I'm done with that. I'm going on to what God has called for me and what he wants me to do next. Now, here's the hard question for you this morning. What ox do you need to slaughter this morning? What wood do you need to be willing to burn this morning? Danny, what are you talking about? There's some big decisions that people need to make. Let me tell you this. There's some people sitting here today who you've surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Man, that is awesome. Best decision you'll ever make. thrilled with you for making that decision. We know from Scripture, once you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, the next step that we need to take is identifying with him through baptism. A picture of what God's done in our life. Of dying to him, dying in control of our life, coming out of that water, forgiven, renewed, and God being in control of our life. A great picture of what it means to surrender to Jesus. Some of you sitting here today have made that first decision to surrender to Jesus, but for whatever reason, you haven't made that decision to be baptized. And that's a big deal. In just a few weeks, we're going to baptize on a Sunday here at the church. And there's going to be a lot of people here. And I want to tell you, maybe your next step needs to be to say, you know what, Danny, this is a very drastic decision for me. I get that and I understand that. But I'm going to make sure on that Sunday in November that I'm here and I'm ready for baptism because I know God's called me to take that drastic next step. So for you, that's a huge next step. And that is a huge step. Let me tell you, I understand that and I get that. For others of you, it's home groups. I just told you a minute ago that I have an introverted side to me and I, I mentioned this last week. If you, weren't, if you weren't with us, I'll tell you this again. Because I got a little bit of introvert in me, home groups to me was petrifying. In the first six weeks of home group, I was like, "Mm, nope, nope, nope. My alarm would go off, and I would think, oh, it's just 12 more hours to home group. I do not want to go to home group. After about six weeks, I started getting to know these people and realized, hey, these are some pretty cool people. These are some awesome people. These are people who struggle with things like I do. They have victories in their life that we can celebrate. We can do life together. And then all of a sudden, it was like it's Wednesday, it's home group day, and can go out to eat with them and go do trick or trunk yesterday with them and have a great time and spend time with them. And it's a huge blessing. But that was a drastic step to do that. And I know for some of you, that's huge, especially for us guys to go into somebody else's home and do this stuff is a big deal. But what I'm telling you is that's a drastic next step that's gonna help your faith to come alive and to be alive and to stay alive is allowing other people to pour into you. So maybe that's your next step is that home group. Maybe for some of you, it's giving. God has blessed you tremendously and you know that. But right now, all of your money's tied up in other things and there's no money for God. Yet we know from God's word, giving is a huge way to worship God. So maybe your next step is to start giving. And you think, Danny, where's it coming from? The drastic next step is, God, I'm going to start with $10, $20, whatever you can, can afford or whatever you can plan to. Maybe you can't even afford that right now, but you decide that's what I'm going to do, and you trust God. To God, I'm, I'm giving this to you out of worship to you. I know you've blessed me tremendously. Would you please meet my needs? And then you watch God do what he does, and that is meet you where you are. But maybe that's your next drastic step. Maybe you need to serve, maybe you need to forgive or ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to stop a habit. Let's be real today. Maybe you're involved in something right now that you don't need to be involved in and you need to stop whatever that habit is in order for your fate to be on fire and you to to live like God desires for you to live. You need to stop. That might be it. Or, and I really don't mean to step on toes, but I'm just going to be honest with you, maybe today you need to commit to get help. Maybe it's for a mental health issue. Maybe it's for an addiction. Maybe it's for something else. But you need more help than you can provide yourself. Listen to me for a minute. There's no shame in doing that. Listen to me closely. There's no shame in getting help. Here's what I want to warn you. If you don't get help, the things that you're trying to hang on to right now, you're probably going to lose at some point down the road. So why not right now address those things? For that drinking problem you've got, that mental health issue you've got, whatever it is, address that right now. There are people that love you, care about you. This church loves and cares about you. We'll help you find those places. But I would ask you to take that dramatic step to commit to getting better, whatever that looks like for you. And again, we are happy to walk alongside you with that. But that might be your next step getting out of your comfort zone. There are so many next steps and things that we could do that are drastic to us that maybe to somebody else they're not. The point is just this. Get serious and make that drastic step. Take that drastic step because that's what's going to keep your faith alive and vibrant and growing as we do that and trust God as we step out to do that. So to keep our faith alive and well and on fire, we've got to first of all consider the cost. Second of all, we've got to make some um, decisions, and they're going to be drastic decisions. The third thing we need to do is to commit to consistency. Commit to consistency. I'm going to pick that water bottle up. We're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. Let me read that verse for you, and then we'll talk about it. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. Then another king, the king of Israel, one of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used, to be Eli- or he used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Now let me talk about what's happening in these verses for just a second. Elisha, as we know, is called to be a prophet. He spends a lot of time preparing, thinking through that. He knows what it's going to cost him to do that. He turns his back on power, prestige, on his wealth. He turns away from all of that, even to the point of burning the, the plows and, and sacrificing his oxen. We also know that he spends some time with Elijah as his assistant. Six years he spends with him. And here's what I want you to think about and what I want you to know for a minute. When we read the fact that he's Elijah's assistant, we can just read over that and not really understand the context of that. But Elisha had a really, really important role that he played in Elijah's life. As his assistant, he had one task, one task only that he did for, listen to me, for six years. And this is what Elisha's task was what he was called to do as the assistant to Elijah the prophet. Here it is, right here. Watch. Is it? For six years, Elisha poured water on the hands of Elijah. Six. Think. Think. What Six years. That's what his role was: was to go around and do that. It wasn't to go out and lead thousands and thousands of people to Jesus or to God at that point. It wasn't to lead these great revivals and see many, many people's lives change. It wasn't to do all these miracles. He does plenty of miracles we read about in Scripture, but at this point, he's not doing miracles He's not drawing all these people back to God. He's not planting churches. For six years, Elisha simply followed Elijah around and poured water on his hands. That is so fascinating to me that that was his role for six years. And to us, it seems so insignificant. But here's the deal. Few people, very few people accept God's call to consistency. Very few. Very few will follow God when it becomes mundane or whenever the things they're doing are not seen. We, want to, we just don't want to do them. We want to be acknowledged and seen for what we do. And we don't want to do the same thing over and over and over again. But God calls us to consistency that leads to the kind of faith that's growing and that is on fire. So what are some of the things I'm talking about? One of the biggest challenges, I'm just being transparent with you, um, is for me to spend daily time in God's Word. Between message preparation and home group, I will do spend time in God's Word, but a lot of times not on the level I need to consistently do that is very, very hard. But that is one of the greatest ways for you and me to know God and know his plan is to spend time there. But we get busy. Our schedules get crazy. Or we're preparing for some home group or Bible study or whatever else. And we feel like, hey, that's met the requirement. And what I'm saying to you is we've got to know God's word. We've got to put God's word into our life. And as we do that and consistently do that, God begins to do things in our life. How about Prayer. You know, these are basic things that we kind of will skim right over, but prayer is huge. It's our way to communicate, to connect with God, and for God to connect with us. Pastor Philip, back in March, took the staff on a retreat, and I'll never forget the speaker, a very, very godly man that God has blessed and uses in so many churches' lives across this country. But one of the things that Reggie shared, he said, as I get older and older and more, and more mature in my faith, he said, I talk less and less to God, and I listen more and more to God. He said, most of my time now in prayer is spent listening because God already knows everything and I need to connect with his heart more than he needs to connect with my heart because he already knows me. And so I thought, that's changed the way I think about prayer now because I think, Danny, you need to spend most of your time listening to what the God of this universe wants to tell you instead of telling him everything that you need. Listen to him. Allow him to speak to you. And maybe it's something as simple as being faithful at a church. That's huge. You know, it scares me when I think that the average believer attends church less than 50, the average committed believer attends church less than two Sundays a month. Less than two Sundays a month. And they're committed. And I'm thinking how vital the church family is to growth and maturing and and, and, and taking those steps in their faith. Even less are part of a home group. And that's where, to me, some of the most authentic Christian growth can take place as you're growing with one another and yet we've got so many people not in home groups. It scares me to think about that because that is so vital and important, just that consistency. Consistency will grow roots that nothing else can do. Listen to me closely. The big things that God does in our lives, those, those, the really big moments, the mountaintop experiences, those are important and those are valuable, but the true growth comes in the consistent day-to-day things that we do. And we can enjoy the mountaintop, but understand that's not where true growth happens. That's a mountaintop experience. It's the day-to-day stuff that's taking place that's helping us to grow. So I would ask you this today. What do you need to commit to Consistently. What is God laying on your heart today to say, if you're going to have a growing, vibrant, on-fire faith, this is what you need to commit to. What's he calling you to commit to consistently? And understand, most of the time, it's not going to be some huge thing. It's going to be something small that at times can even seem mundane, but it's through doing those things, God does great things, just like he did in Elisha's life. Number four here, um, we need to keep believing and keep asking. And I want to read, move over to 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, and let me share with you what these, what these verses say. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. Understand, you need to read all of the chapters around these verses, some amazing, miraculous things happen, but Elijah is getting ready to be taken from this earth in a chariot of fire. Crazy as that sounds, that's how God takes him out of this earth. So he's asking Elisha before that happens, what do you want me to do for you? And listen to what he says. This is crazy. Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Listen to that. Elisha could ask for anything, and this is what he asked for, a double share of your spirit and to become your successor. So what he's saying here is I want to have twice as much, Elijah, of what you had in your spirit, your obedience, your humility, your faithfulness, your godliness. I want to have what you have, and I want a whole other portion of that. That's a pretty crazy thing to ask, that he would have double of that that spiritual life, so to speak, that Elijah had. But that's what he's asking for. I I want that in my life. And then he goes on to say, and the other thing I want is to have the God-given spiritual abilities that you have. I want to have that and I want to have that double as well. So I'm sitting here thinking you can have anything you want, but those are the two things that you pick to have. And you know, when I first read that, I stopped and the, the word topper came to my mind. I don't know if you know what a topper is, but it's that person that you go to and you share something with them, a story, an adventure you've been on or whatever else, and they top it. They got something better than that. They have got a better adventure, a better story, a more dramatic story. And you know, at first it can seem like that's what Elisha's trying to do. And he's trying to step back and say, you know what, I just want more than you got because I want to be more popular than you. I want to be better than you. I want people to remember me longer than they remembered you. But in fact, that's not what he's that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying here and what he realizes is that God can do greater and more things than he did in the past. He's not done yet. So Elijah, what God did in and through you, I want God to do that and even more through me. I want more people to know God. I want more people to encounter him. I want God to do bigger and greater things. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Um, One of the things I absolutely love to do is to find Cedar Creekers that were here from day one or the early years. Because one of the things you'll find out very quickly is God did some crazy stuff here at this church. And this church exploded from a daycare, from Richard Swift's house to a daycare, to building four, to a worship center that was packed for every service, to building this worship center to house everybody. God did some really, really amazing things, transformed many, many lives. And the stories go on and on and on of what God did in and through people. What Elisha would say is, God, that is absolutely incredible what you did back there. But God, I'm going to trust you to do even greater things ahead than what you did back there. And what I will tell you is we serve a God that is not done. He's not a past tense God. And what he did the early years of Cedar Creek, he can do that over and over and over, multiplied over and over and over again. He's not done. He's a God without limits, and there is so much that he wants to do in and through this church yet that if we'll just trust him and we'll believe and we'll ask, we can see those things happen. That again, not that we're looking back and and not being appreciative for those early years, but God wants to do greater and bigger things as he grows his kingdom and he helps lead life transformation in more and more people's lives. For some of you, it's a career. You know today that God has something more for you than what you're doing right now. And you need to keep asking, and you need to keep believing, and you need to keep petitioning God over and over again. God, this is what you want. I know this is what you want, but everything's not lining up right. I believe in miracles. I believe you can lead me there. Help me to know what my next step and my next step and my next step to get to where you want me is. But we've got to ask, and we've got to believe. For some of you, it's relationships that need to be repaired. You've got, you've got many relationships in your life or a relationship in your life that is just totally broken and you don't see any hope for that, but you need to keep believing and keep asking God to do great things there. I'm reminded a couple of years ago, I stood right here and told you about my dad, my birth father, broken relationship. My stepfather was my father. Um, and I, you know, he poured into me, he raised me and everything else. And I stood here on that week and told you, I really feel like God's calling me to reconcile with my father. And It was something I prayed and asked for. And with almost at, with, almost no time my dad and I started communicating and just two weeks ago I was able to go and spend some time with him for a a good half a day eating together and he wanted me to take me by and see his church and meet his pastor and we talk regularly now and two years ago I said that relationship I don't care about it it's done I've got a stepdad that loves me and cares about me and now all of a sudden I've got a a birth father in my life that matters is important And we talk regularly and we care about what's going on in our lives and what I will tell you today is keep asking, keep begging, keep believing that God is going to do what God said he's going to do in his word. And as you do that, I'm telling you, you're going to see God answer and it's going to grow your faith and you're going to get excited about your faith because you realize God listens, God's at work, God cares about me. So this morning, I want, as I wrap up, I just want you to think about are you at a place in your life that you want your faith to be growing, to be vibrant, and to be on fire? Are you in a place this morning that instead your faith seems to have faded and things have dropped back and it's not as important to you and you're not as excited about it? And if you want to move in that direction, today I think four things from looking at the life of Elisha and Elijah and what went on between them that I think can help us move to that vibrant, growing faith. But ultimately the choice is going to be up to us and what we want to do and will we be willing to do the four things we talked about today that are going to lead to that? So my hope and my prayer is today that you'll take God's word and the message and you'll mull over that and look over that and continue to ask God, God, help me to move closer to having that kind of faith. Help me to know the steps I need to take to get to that place where my faith matters, my faith changes lives, my faith changes me, and it's exciting, it's on fire, God, because you're doing all that you want to do in my life. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to come to you and thank you for our time today. Father, I thank you for your word and how it speaks to us on so many different things. And today I'm just reminded of the fact by looking at the life of Elisha that, Father, you want us to have a faith that's on fire and that's on vibrant. And, Father, I know many of us have been believers for a long time, and we're just not there right now because we've allowed things to slip and we haven't kept things in the right order and priorities that we need to in our life. And my hope and my prayer is today that through looking at the life of Elisha and some steps that we can take to rekindle that faith and to ignite that faith to be what it needs to be, I pray you would help us to do that. Clearly show us what we need to do, Father. Help us to know what those next steps are that we need to take and give us the boldness and courage to do that. I just thank you that you would love us so much that you want that type of relationship with us. Sinful, broken people that you want to have a vibrant, life-changing faith. Thank you that you would love us that much. I just pray right now as we have opportunity to continue to worship. And Father, an opportunity to hear about some next steps with you. I pray you'd open our minds and our heart to know what you want us to do to be the people you've created us to be. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.